We tend to kind of collapse everything into Easter, don't we? I get it. After all, Easter is the center of our faith. In fact, St. Paul writes in Scripture, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then we are misrepresenting God. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, Scripture says, then we are the most pitiful of all people. So it makes sense, right? Easter is the big deal. The resurrection of our Lord is the big deal. It's the sun, right? And everything else just kind of revolves around it. In fact, if we were to summarize the gospel, the good news, if somebody asked you, what are you, what are you Christians all about? Why do you talk about this gospel, this good news? What is it? You should simply tell them, here's the gospel. Jesus is risen. That's the best way to summarize the good news. Jesus is risen. But that simple sentence is not simplistic, right? That simple sentence opens up. It flowers up. The resurrection, we might say, has consequences. And today, we celebrate the height of those consequences. The ascension of Jesus is the consequence of his resurrection, It is truly meet and right and salutary. It is fitting. It is appropriate. It fits that the risen one should also ascend. And this isn't some kind of a letdown, right? I mean, I can kind of understand why people don't get as excited about ascension as Easter. After all, when you think about it, Jesus disappeared from them. It's kind of a sad story in a way. On the surface, it seems kind of somber. Why would you celebrate that? But he who rose must ascend, because the resurrection is not simply, it is not simply a return to how things used to be. It is advance. It is progress. It is exaltation. It is glorification. And so, resurrection must be followed by ascension. Now, just think of that, right? A simple return. If Jesus just came back from the dead and it was just like the good old days, that would not be good news, It wouldn't be the gospel. I mean, it would be good. It would be nice. It would even be thrilling. It would be exciting, right? But if Christ, if Christ were simply returned from the dead, if he was back the same way that Lazarus came back, or if he was back the same way that the widow's son at Nain, remember that when Jesus raised that man back from the dead, or if Jesus arose from sleep, from the sleep of death like he did for Jairus' daughter, remember that story? If all the disciples could say about Jesus was, he's back. If that's all that was meant by the resurrection, then our faith would be in vain. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We would be the most pitiful of all people to simply be celebrating someone who came back. Those returns were nice. They were good. I mean, if you asked Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they would tell you this is the greatest thing that ever happened. If you asked the widow at Nain, she would tell you this is awesome. If you asked Jairus and his wife, they would tell you this is pretty hard to beat. But Jesus beats those. Jesus does something even better. The resurrection of Jesus is more than nice. It isn't just a return. 
A return would be like, you know, imagine this. You get to the end of a movie, and at the end of the movie, has this ever happened to you? The, the climax of the movie disappoints. And so you hit rewind, and you think, well, maybe if I watch it all over again, it'll change. Or if you're not a movie watcher, imagine that you're reading a book, and you love how it's going, and then you get to the end, and it's kind of a letdown. So you start the book all over again. It doesn't change the end, does it? It doesn't add something new to start all over again. The resurrection of Jesus is not him hitting rewind. The resurrection of Jesus is not him saying, let's just kind of play that one all over again. How about a mulligan, guys? Mulligans are nice on the golf course, but if you have a slice, it doesn't matter how many mulligans you have, the ball is always going to be in the rough. It was not the mission of Christ to simply return. It was not his to trim back the bushes. It was his to rip them out, root and all. It was not his to simply apply some kind of a conservative policy to the world that would slow death down to a crawl. It was not his mission to simply bring about the prolonging of this mortal life. It was his to trample death down and to bring in the reign of life. It was not his to just come back. It was his to go up. What was sown perishable rose imperishable. What was sown in dishonor, he rises in glory. Sown in weakness, our Lord Jesus rises in power, and he's not going back to how it was before. For the days of his humiliation have become the days of his exaltation. The ascension of Jesus fixes this beyond any shadow of doubt. It's almost impossible to believe it, but if the disciples still had in their minds that things were just going to go back to how they used to be, well, the ascension puts the nail in the coffin. In those 40 days, Jesus had already shown them that there was something new, there was something different, right? He came through the closed doors, through the locked doors. He disappeared from their sight. He vanished in that house on the Emmaus Road. And when he stood on the shore and called out to them, try the other side, and they caught 153 fish in their nets, they should have gotten the point. Things are different now. Things are better. But it is possible, right? It is possible that the disciples might have thought, oh, it's going to be just like it was three years ago. We're going to walk around. He's going to feed 5,000. He's going to preach, except now, now everybody's going to listen to us. They might have thought, that Jesus was just getting the band back together again, and it was time for another tour. The ascension of Jesus puts the nail in the coffin for that. For now, Jesus does something that was previously unseen. Something that had never happened before was happening now. Our Lord Jesus takes the highest station, and so a man, a human, takes his place beside God on the throne. He enters no earthly cloud, but goes into heaven's glory. The Son of Man rides up on that chariot cloud to receive a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Now, our world wants a kingdom where there's progress, don't they? Our world longs for progress, for an advance. We want governmental policies that will improve things, don't we? It's in part, I think, because in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. We want, it is built into our nature to want improvement, to want progress. 
The problem is that while our world longs for progress, for advancement, it has lost sight, hasn't it, of what progress really is. Eve bought the lie long ago, and Adam, well, he swallowed it down too. Remember the lie? You will be like God. You can determine good and evil for yourselves. You can have progress without God. And so rather than progressing upwards and bringing the whole world up, Adam and Eve plunged things downward. And we, their children, have followed suit, haven't we? The things that now have the veneer of progress are just thinly veiled regresses. I had a professor who liked to say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And so things disguise themselves in the opposite. Think about it. What do they call abortion? A reproductive right, the care of women. What do they call mutilation? Affirmation. And adultery of all stripes runs rampant under the guise of liberation. Anger and bitterness and envy and greed dress themselves up. They put the lipstick on and call themselves justice. But that's no progress, is it? You can put all the lipstick you want on a pig, but it's still a pig. Our world then longs not just for progress, but we also want stability, especially in the face of so much slippage, especially in the face of so much decay, we want someone to come along and, well, if we can't hit rewind, at least someone can hit pause, right? At least we can press pause on the movie. We'd like to rewind it. We'd like to go back. We'd like to return to former times, saner times. And so we want conservatives. But the problem with conservatives is that they often have no power. Hitting rewind, hitting pause doesn't actually change the end. And so even with all the conservative thought, even with all the conservative things, we just end up regressing slower. And so we bemoan, we gripe, we lament, and nothing changes. Here is the point that we just have to come to grips with. We are not going to progressively conquer our problems. And we are not going to hit pause on our problems either. There is no political solution to our problem because our problem is not a political one. You can't sin your way into something and then vote your way out, right? The solution to a sin problem is repentance. Repentance and a kingdom of grace. And so here's the point that we come to grips with. We aren't going to progressively conquer things on our own. We aren't going to conservatively stop things on our own. And we don't have to. There is salvation. There is a kingdom. There is a man on the throne. And so there is hope for sinners. There is hope for those who live in the shadow of death because there is a king whose kingdom extends to the ends of the earth. There is a Jesus, our Jesus, who is risen He is risen, dear friends, and his resurrection has consequences, wonderful consequences. Politicians like to use that line when they get elected, right? Elections have consequences, so now you have to do what I want. Well, how about this one? The resurrection has consequences, so now things go the way Jesus wants. I'll sign up for that any day of the week. 
Jesus is king, and so the ascension is worth celebrating. He is a king with a risen kingdom, too. Take note. It is not just a kingdom like it was in the old days. Our king spent those 40 days talking with his disciples about his kingdom. That's what you heard in the Acts reading. You can hear how the disciples were eager to see the kingdom. Lord, finally, at last, are you going to bring back the good old days? Are you going to restore things like they were in the days of David? But Jesus didn't just return, right? He rose. And so he tells them, sorry, boys, you have to think bigger. Israel, oh yes, my kingdom will cover Jerusalem, it will reach Judea, it will go out to Samaria, but think bigger. Expand your mind, disciples. I have come to reign to the ends of the earth, and you are going to be my witnesses of the whole thing. We celebrate not a returning king, but a resurrected king. Jesus didn't come to make Israel great again. His kingdom was not a kingdom like David's, but a better one. It was bigger in territory, and it was greater in every way. For the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus doesn't just conquer Philistines, it conquers sin. The kingdom of Jesus doesn't just trample down our enemies, he crushes death's power. His reign does not simply impose the old law of Moses, but he brings the wisdom of the Spirit. It is not a return to something perishable, to something weak, to something dishonorable. It is a resurrection kingdom, imperishable, glorious, powerful, a kingdom of grace and mercy everlasting. So think bigger, like Jesus told them when he went up. Think bigger, like Jesus told them when he went up and sat down. For Jesus sits now. Now, when you and I sit, it's to relax, right? When you and I sit, it's to rest. It's to take things easy. Our work is done, and we can at last have a seat. But when a king sits on his throne, it isn't to take it easy. It's to rule. He goes up to sit down, and he sits down to lead on. Through the testimony, his kingdom has come to you, and you have been brought into him. Jesus is risen. Jesus is king. That gospel has consequences, glorious consequences. Your sin is defeated. Your death is done away with. The grave is no longer your prison, but is the portal to everlasting life. And wherever this gospel is proclaimed, wherever this word is heard, and the sacraments are celebrated there, the kingdom of Jesus is at work. And just so, just so, there is real honest-to-God progress. Not the phony stuff, not the lipstick on the pig stuff, not the stuff that the unbelieving world drones on about, but real honest-to-God progress. Progress that starts with repentance and then grows. Grows in faith, grows in hope, grows in love, grows in mercy, grows in real justice, grows in real goodness, in truth, and in beauty. Because Jesus is king, there is real progress in our world, and there is real stability. Not the powerlessness of what passes for conservatism, but the rock of ages, who will not let the gates of hell stand against the church. You have a new and greater Adam who has come, and he will not sit idly by while his world lapses into ruin or plunges into error. He will conserve what he has made, what he has redeemed, and he will sanctify you completely in his spirit. So, so don't be content with collapsing everything into Easter. 
And next year, bring a friend. That's your job, all of you. We need this place to be as full on Ascension Thursday as it is on Easter Sunday. Because the good news is that the resurrection has consequences. It has implications. It has glorious, wonderful consequences. Consequences for you to enjoy and to celebrate and to throw your whole lot in with. Do you want progress? Then join Jesus and strive to work with him and see his kingdom grow. Do you want stability? Then align yourself with King Jesus and work along with him as a witness of what he has made and what he loves. Live under him. Serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. I can't promise it will always be smooth sailing, but your efforts will not be wasted. Your sacrifices will not be forgotten because Jesus is risen and Jesus is king. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.